This is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Welcome to the In Focus podcast. My name is Jayan Shriram and I'm your host for today. In this episode, we look at External Affairs Minister S Jayashankar's visit to the US last week. This was a trip that was largely seen as a mission of sorts to secure various agreements relating to the supply of vaccines or raw materials for vaccine production. How successful was it and are there any changes that are taking place as a result? We'll discuss that and taking off from Dr. Jayashankar's visit, we'll also use the second part of this podcast to discuss some of the major diplomatic challenges that India now faces post the COVID-19 second wave. I'm joined by the Hindu's national and diplomatic affairs editor, Suhasini Haider. Suhasini, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you here again. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me on. Right. So uh, we'll start first with uh, Foreign Minister Jay Shankar's uh, recent visit to the US. I think it's being viewed by everybody, including the media, from the lens of India's uh, scramble for COVID-19 vaccines and the fact that this assumes more importance now since the government has kind of given this commitment that uh, it will aim to at least vaccinate the or immunize the bulk of its population by the end of this year. So, um, you know, what have been the developments during the visit on on this issue, on the, on the, the global search for vaccines that we're now engaged in? Well, of course, uh, Jayanti, Eastern Affairs Minister Dr. Jay Shankar spent a week in the United States and, and officials have made the point that clearly the visit was not just about vaccines. He met the UN Secretary General. He met other leaders in the U.S. government, uh, including the Defense Secretary, the Trade uh, Representative, the Director of National Intelligence, as well as his counterpart, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, and um, obviously issues that are of bilateral concern, whether it is on the Indo-Pacific cooperation, whether it is on Quad and what we can do within the Quad uh, quadrilateral, uh, as well as the situation with China did come up. That's something that uh, the U.S. Secretary of State did say. Um, But it is it is quite clear that for the government right now as a whole, the uh, imperative is to try and make up the shortfall of vaccines. Because remember, between April and May, India's vaccine administration actually halved. Um, it is now back up to those levels of uh, of, of about um, uh, you know uh, three million a day, but uh, it has been very very short. And uh, you know, vaccine shortages is something many people have been speaking about. Now, given that India has already al- already brought in the European vaccine, which is essentially the AstraZeneca one, has uh, uh, now given approval to the Sputnik. A vaccine, and we understand that by next year, around this time, about 850 million doses will have been made uh, of the Sputnik vaccine as well, the Russian one. Uh, it is. It's also clear that for political reasons, the Chinese vaccines are not an option for this government, and certainly the government has not opened any conversations about bringing in the Chinese vaccine. So that really right. leaves them with the three vaccine manufacturers in the U.S., and that's Pfizer, Moderna, and uh, Johnson and Johnson. So I think um, um, Dr. Jayashankar's mission was threefold. The first part was to try and get the U.S. to part with as many of its stockpile of AstraZeneca 
uh, doses as uh, it possibly can. Obviously, it has about 60 million plus another 20 million that it wants to share with the rest of the world, but all of it is not going to come to India. So the first conversation was about that. Uh, it's particularly uh, uh, interesting because the U.S. hasn't yet uh, given AstraZeneca its own clearances. So until they give those clearances, they can't export. The second part of his mission was really to try and get these vaccine manufacturers that I just named uh, to commit to uh, giving India uh, priority when it comes to orders coming from India. Obviously, we are behind in the game. India has dropped the ball when it came to placing these orders last year, and that seems fairly clear. Um, but how they can ensure that these companies do pr provide uh, to India, that ran into issues simply because, um, uh, you know, uh, these companies now want to talk tough uh, in the negotiations. They want indemnity. They want liability uh, waivers from uh, the Indian government for any kind of adverse effect from their vaccines, particularly because they have concerns about India's cold chain and how the vaccine will be uh, handled here. They also want um, uh, they they also want India to uh, commit to pre-authorization, what they do of the emergency use authorization, but it must come before the actual supplies come in. Uh, and they want the Indian government to backtrack on its announcement that it would be states that would uh, individually negotiate contracts. They want a centralized contract to come from India because they want to hold the central government to account. So they want that. They want upfront payments in advance. So again, uh, that's something that the Indian government will have to consider. We're already seeing some movement in Delhi after Mr. Jay Shankar came back. Uh, and sources in the government are now speaking about being more flexible on the liability issue. They've already issued a notification easing uh, uh, the the bridge trial uh, requirement for these uh, for these American companies. Uh, so we're likely to see that if the demands of these American companies are met that in the next few weeks we will hear about actual contracts being forged between Indian companies and these American companies. And the third part of what he was hoping uh, to speak about is the U.S.'s offer of, uh, you know, allowing India more vaccine ingredients and components so that Indian companies can produce these vaccines. Remember, the U.S. has been holding these up because of a, they say it's not an export ban, but it is in fact under their Defense Production Act gives American companies priority on these vaccine components. Uh, last month, the U.S. had released about vaccine ingredients for about 20 million doses, but that's very small. Uh, they And the Indian government is very keen that America opens this up more. So this was a fairly broad and large uh, uh, mission statement that Dr. Jay Shankar went to the U.S. with. As I said, we're already right. seeing some of the results uh, this week. Uh, and then there were the other conversations we had, as I said. Yeah, right. So, I mean, just in terms of, you know, a lot of points that we covered in your last answer with regard to the vaccines, would you consider this? I mean, is this mixed results? Are we talking about a successful visit in terms of things being achieved and, and what we're seeing right now? Um, certainly, Jen, this is going to be a work in progress. Remember that already the government has put out these statements saying they hope to have a substantial amount, if not all the vaccines they wanted administered by the end of the year. Um, that may or may not happen, but they have put out a fairly ambitious plan for getting about uh, um, uh, 950 million doses from Serum Institute, another 650 million um, from Bharat Biotech. Uh, they're also hoping that Dr. Reddy's with the 
Sputnik um, uh, vaccine is going to have another 150. So they are looking at uh, uh, getting over a billion doses in the next a few months and then be able to pr- provide them into the vaccine administration chain. Uh, and so we are hopeful that they will hear back. There is uh, some talk from officials that by July 4th, the, uh, which is the U.S. Uh, Independence National Day, that the U.S. is planning to make these announcements. Uh, and uh, uh, and it is already clear that Sputnik uh, vaccines are on their way. We've already brought in a few tranches uh, from August or September this year. They will also be produced in India. So there will be more of those. Now, all of this is a race against time because uh, India needs to have a substantial amount of its population vaccinated before what could be the pandemic's third wave. Uh, And what we've seen in other countries is unless you've got this substantial amount vaccinated, the the pandemic can come back and play havoc with your population. So it is a bit of a race against time. And uh, the government is really hoping that they will not be in the situation they were in with the second wave and that they will have all these uh, vaccine promises actually delivered on. Uh, so that uh, they can um, uh, they can they can send them out. All right. So Asni, I thought we'd spend the second half of this uh, discussion basically talking about uh, the challenges of diplomacy in you know post second wave. Post the, I mean we're still in the second wave, but you know post the second wave becoming a big issue in India. So um, you know in the first wave the the positions were very different. I think we approached it from a very different uh, perspective. There were obviously obviously things like uh, the va- vaccine diplomacy. And vaccine Maitri, now there's, um, you know, we're in the opposite situation of, you know, seeking vaccines from around the world. But that's not the only thing. So maybe I thought I would ask you about the other challenges that we're going to face in the coming months, you know, sure. post second wave. And, and Jen, I wrote a piece uh, which was entitled COVID Diplomacy 2.0, you know, the, the order of tasks for the Ministry of External Affairs in particular and Indian missions abroad is changing and it's often changing month by month. You pointed out some of the focus that was there last year. And then after the, the second wave came and we saw the number of deaths, particularly in the capital, but also in other parts of the country, uh, we saw the kind of uh, way the uh, the uh, the pandemic raged through so many cities of India. Uh, we've seen a new order of tasks for the MEA. The first part, of course, was dealing with bringing in oxygen, bringing in medicines. Uh, this, even as the MEA and the diplomatic community in Delhi grappled with their own uh, uh, infections and their own health concerns. Uh, Then we saw the push, as we were just discussing, for the vaccines, which is going to take the Ministry of External Affairs through uh, a good part of the next few weeks because they have to uh, help with these negotiations that we just spoke about. Um, But then after that, there is much more. To begin with, uh, there is the need for India to do some of the damage control because it wasn't just the domestic outcry about India sending vaccines abroad. There is also the international outcry, which is now getting louder, about India's decision to drop all vaccine exports after April. Um, Obviously, India said we can't do this while our own population needs the vaccine. But it shows that there was some lack of basic accounting 
for how they would be able to give these supplies uh, abroad at the same time as uh, vaccinating their own population. So um, it is the COVAX Alliance, for example, that uh, you know uh, that has had taken on the responsibility of providing vaccines to countries, particularly in the global South, Africa, in South America, and, and they've been left in the lurch. In a sense, um, UNICEF had put out a statement saying that India's lack of vaccine exports was going to mean that they would not be able to provide uh, vaccines to the countries they were helping. We also heard very specifically from all our neighboring countries. Remember, Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, um, Afghanistan, Bhutan, uh, the Maldives had all put in specific uh, requests with India. Some of them were for grants, some of them were for uh, supplies that were fully paid up for. And India has not been able to uh, make good on those uh, supplies. They haven't been able to fulfill the supplies because the government stopped uh, the exports in, in April. I think the most egregious example of that is what happened to Bhutan. Uh, Bhutan had actually completely relied on the Indian promises of uh, AstraZeneca or Covishield vaccines coming to them. They had done their calculations. They needed about uh, half a million vaccine doses to uh, vaccinate their entire adult population or a good part of it. They planned it so that when the first dose was to be administered, they brought in 550,000 doses from India. They were very grateful um, for that. But that was in uh, the end of March. And since then, they have been waiting for the second dose from India. Uh, we're already at the end of May. They're hoping that they get those doses sometime in June, but they have already cast the net out far and wide. And a country like Bhutan that is always been able to depend on India is today out there asking for other countries to help with uh, AstraZeneca's supplies. Uh, so we are looking at a place where there is damage, both to India's reputation, um, as well as the idea that other countries will move into these areas where India has been uh, the first mover. India saw itself as a kind of vaccine manufacturer for the world. Uh, and so as a result of its decision not to send out any more vaccines, we have seen China fill the gap, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it is Nepal, Bangladesh, uh, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives. Uh, Chinese vaccines, Sinovac, Sinopharm, have actually been fi filling the gap that India left over there. And the final point, uh, Jayant, I think that Indian diplomats are going to have to grapple with, or certainly it is one area where India could regain some of its footing on the world diplomatic stage, is the question about accountability. Are we going to be able to, um, you know, uh, to, to uh, preempt the next big pandemic or the next big wave if, in fact, we don't know what caused this one? Remember, we're now 18 months into this pandemic, 3 million deaths, uh, 170 million uh, cases, and we still don't actually know what it was that caused the, the virus that was first identified in Wuhan in China. There are many um, uh, theories out there. The WHO put out its report with four basic possible pathways of emergence, essentially saying it was unlikely this was a lab accident, a laboratory accident at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but not completely ruling it out. They also said that it was probably uh, a zoonotic transmission, one that could have gone through a different animal, um, as well as the possibility of it being through the food chain. But until one knows and until there is real accountability for that, it is very difficult 
uh, for the world to feel safe from the next pandemic. And India could play a role over here. It is a member of the UN Security Council. It is on the WHO's executive board. India must also play a role on uh, the issue of upgrading the bioweapons convention, what, uh, what, is, uh, what was formally started in 1972 that looked at biological uh, research and looked at uh, toxins research. Um, uh, there have been conventions that stop this kind of research, but it is necessary to give those conventions more teeth, uh, to have a, a, a strong compliance mechanism uh, as well. And these are all areas where India could play a part. Jen? Yeah, so actually one thing that we should also cover is that there's this, there's this issue pending in the World Trade Organization about um, freeing up intellectual property rights on vaccines. Um, this is something that's been ongoing now for a couple of months. Just how is, uh, just to get an update from you, and how is India handling this now uh, diplomatically? Absolutely, Jant, and, um, and uh, that's a very important question that you asked because uh, for the last few months, Indian diplomats have been working very hard on this proposal. It is a proposal essentially for waiving trips, um, which is, uh, you know, uh, trade uh, uh, restrictions are dealing with the intellectual property rights for countries at the World Trade Organization. So in October, on 2nd October 2020, India and South Africa presented this proposal saying, let's have some kind of a moratorium when um, uh, patents and intellectual property rights don't count when it comes to vaccines dealing with coronavirus. They had hoped that the whole world would get behind this immediately. It has taken a few months. Not everybody was convinced right away with the idea. Um, so over this last few months, we've seen more and more countries uh, supporting the India-South Africa proposal, as many as 60 had signed on. Uh, the U.S., which was a big uh, boost, said that they would support the negotiations over this kind of a, of a, of a proposal, uh, stop short of uh, specifically signing on to the proposal, but they have said that they will e eventually do that. Uh, just uh, this week, uh, we have seen the BRICS ministerial grouping come together. And for the first time, we heard from Russia, from China, from uh, from Brazil as well, that said that they would support these kind of negotiations. Uh, what we understand is one proposal is the India-South Africa proposal, uh, which essentially now says, and it's become more clarified, says for three years, no country should hold patent, uh, patents on um, vaccines. Uh, and that would include India. You know, India would have to free up its uh, intellectual property rights on the Covaxin as well. Uh, and um, the second proposal, which now is also uh, gathering some steam, is one that uh, the WTO itself might put together, which is a kind of compromise. Because remember, there is a huge pushback from the pharmaceutical companies themselves, the vaccine manufacturers, as well as several countries like uh, most of Europe. Uh, Prime Minister Modi did try uh, to convince the European Union leaders. All 27 of them had come for a meeting together, a virtual meeting uh, at the beginning of May. Uh, and he did try to push for them to support this kind of proposal. But so far, we have not seen that support coming from Europe. Remember, the WTO works on consensus. So essentially, if there are still holdouts by the time they decide to vote on a proposal, then that will not go through. So Indian diplomats are working quite hard on bringing countries on board, even if it is one at a time. Um, but essentially, Jen, again, this might help the next 
year or, or the year after that or have a, a longer term salutary effect. In the short term, not many diplomats are hopeful that the WTO waiver will immediately bear fruit for India's uh, current needs. All right. So, Asni, I think we'll wrap up the conversation there for today. I think we've covered a lot, as always. Uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We'll see you again soon. Now, thank you. You know, Jayant, uh, in a sense, we've all become uh, quasi-experts on all kinds of issues. But I think the pandemic, because it has cut so close to home, has in fact uh, changed not only how we look at issues, uh, but really how diplomats have to look at, uh, at their mission. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.